Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Today we have a great conversation that I had with my friend Beverly Ross. And before we get to that, let me tell you about some other stuff that's coming up. Uh, First of all, we have a mailbag podcast that we are currently receiving questions for. So if you got a question about theology, spirituality, the Bible, hair care, anything that's important, uh, email them over at luke at lukenorsworthy.com or send them through Facebook or Twitter or the Instagram, whatever. And uh, we will do our best to get to each and every one of your questions. Uh, I mean, I can't promise it, but we'll try. So um, maybe like one more week of sending those in and then we'll do the mailbag. Um, We also have had a couple good podcasts already recorded that you will hear soon. Uh, David Fitch, uh, something about, uh, I think the title was like Moving Beyond us versus them, which is a perfectly titled work book for the current zeitgeist that we live within, and uh, also record a podcast from uh, with our friend Jeremy Courtney, who is living in Iraq, just outside of Baghdad. We're talking about his new book, Love Anyways. That, that was a great conversation. I think you're going to enjoy that, and uh, I think it's going to come out the 21st. But today, we have a conversation with my friend Beverly Ross, who I've known for uh, over a decade now, and she's someone who has been a great, uh, great teacher of mine, uh, who has pointed me to what it means to find joy on the other side of grief. Uh, we're going to talk about the story of uh, about a decade, nine and a half years ago, her 31-year-old daughter uh, suddenly passed away, and it's, uh, it's something we've talked about on the podcast. We've had her son, Josh Ross, who's a preacher in Memphis. Uh, he's been on a couple times, and he's talked about his experience uh, as well. And I think you're going to love her. Uh, I think our, our church loved having her there. And so I think you will too. So uh, we're double dipping. If you listen to the Westover podcast, which is my sermons, uh, you've, you might have heard this, but um, you know, so what? Listen to it again. It's, I mean, honestly, I heard it multiple times, twice on Sunday. So you can too. So enjoy it. Here we go. Oh, and I talked for a couple of minutes at the very beginning about myself, and then she joins. So don't think like, oh, I put the wrong sermon up next to it, because I, I, I didn't mess up. Just, here it is. Let's talk about the Bible I before I get myself in more trouble. Galatians chapter 5. The word of the Lord. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh, for what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and the things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. If you are rooted in the flesh, if you live by what's just on the surface of this world, there will be fruit that comes from that. Because each and every one of us is bearing fruit. The question is, what kind of fruit are you bearing? And the answer to the kind of fruit that you're bearing is in the location of where you are rooted. Because where you are rooted, it will be revealed. And if you are rooted in the presence of God, you will display the fruit of God 
Love, joy, peace, patience. Because all of these things are God. If you're rooted in God, you start to look and appear like God. And so the first facet of the fruit that we're going to talk about in the series is joy. If you're rooted in God, the fruit will be joy. Now the word joy has kind of some overlapping definitions in English. The way we use the word joy, it has a couple different facets. So for one, if you love fishing, you'd say, you know, I love fishing, it brings me so much joy. You're saying joy as the state of expressing this feeling, the state of expressing, this brings me joy. Now, some of you say, my kids are the joy of my life. And so for you, joy is the source. So your kids are the source of your joy. So joy is a source, but also some of you say, you know, it's your birthday and your friends decided to embarrass you on stage and you say, oh, that made me jump for joy. False, you would never say that. But if you did, you'd be using joy as an expression of how you feel. So they're overlapping definitions of what joy is. That's also the way that it's used in scripture. And so you have it in Matthew's gospel. This is when uh, people find out about the birth of Jesus. And it's the expression of a state. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. Now you go to John's gospel and you see joy used as the source. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices. Now rejoice, same word for joy. Greatly at the bridegroom's voice. For, the, for this reason, my joy has been fulfilled. So the voice is the source of joy. Now you go to the book of Philippians, which we read from earlier, book in which Paul talks about joy over and over again. Paul says, rejoice, and the Lord always, again, I will say rejoice. So joy is this expression. So there's this overlapping understanding of what joy is in English and in Scripture. But the thing about joy is ultimately, even though it has overlapping definitions, joy is not about what's over you, it's about what's underneath you. Because happiness is about being connected to the flesh and about what's over you and what's around you. Happiness is the work of the flesh that says, what my circumstances are determines my countenance. I'm based on just what's right around me, my bank account, how work's going, how my neighbor's treating me, that's my happiness. But even though there are overlapping definitions of joy, joy isn't about what's over you, ultimately it's about something that comes up from underneath. It comes from being rooted in something deeper and more substantial than what's around you and your circumstances and what you're feeling. Joy is about having something deeper. And I want to talk about this morning, or I want us to hear about that, but... I know one thing is that I'm not the most gifted person to talk about this. I actually have one of my good friends who's here with me this morning, and I'm going to invite her up on the stage because I think she has far more to say about this than I do. So would you all join me in welcoming my good friend, Beverly Ross, to the stage? I think we have stools somewhere, but I don't know where they went. Uh, Maybe Brent can find those. Now, um... Okay, if you all don't know my friend Beverly Ross, let me introduce her to you. She is, um, by profession, you're a counselor uh, in Wise County, which is Decatur area. And uh, you also um, have five grandchildren. That's right. And th- thank you. You guys are... Thank you. Thank you so 
Was that you go girl to her or to me? I assume that was to her. Charlie never talks to me like that. Okay, uh, uh, so you have five grandkids, and uh, two of those grandchildren were given to you by one of my good friends, who happens to be your son, Josh Ross, who is one of uh, my best friends, been, with, been good friends with him since we were in undergrad and grad school together, and in many ways, I feel like I'm a source of joy for you and your husband, Rick, because I basically helped your son get through school. <laughs> I don't know why y'all laughed at that. <laughs> That was a serious thing. Would you like to tell a story about how Josh maybe helped you during the time of grad school? I I can't think of any, honestly. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you with this one. Okay. Okay. My oldest son has a major, I mean major aversion to throw up. Like, he just does not do throw up. I mean, leave the room, call 911, do whatever it takes when there's throw up. Because he's not going to be around for it. But uh, one time Luke was very, you weren't really sick, were you? Was it a self-induced sickness? I mean, what's self-induced and what's not? And okay. Do you this want to is... tell the story and let our friends decide? I, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a normal story. Like, everyone's done this. You, you go to the weight room, you attach a 72-pound weight to wait, your wait, head. Wait. Did you hear what he said? And... He attached a 72-pound, what, what kettle, kind of... Kettlebell, technically. Kettlebell but who, around who, his neck. It was someone else's idea. They dared me. But, <laughs> but you know, one thing led to another. My, I did that. Two days later, my face went numb. My arm went numb. I started throwing up. My, a disc slipped out of my neck. And I had to go to the hospital. And so your son, despite his phobia of vomit... Yes. Um took my vomiting self to the hospital. That's right. And helped the he did. throw yeah. up thing for you. Because yes. that's true love right there. That's true love. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So. Yeah, so that, I mean, he, okay, he helped with that one thing. <laughs> it's. Okay. But that, I mean, yeah. I mean, I helped him get through school, though. I think it was a mutual help. What do you think? You good with that? All right. Mutual help. Buddy help. You've known her for two minutes and you're taking her side already. <laughs> Anyway, never, nevertheless, okay, uh, so uh, you've been a, a great friend to us for years, you've come to every church that I've worked at, and you're a great teacher, also you're a counselor, and so what inevitably happens when I've seen you in the churches I've been a part of is afterwards people are like, so you're a counselor, huh? Um, so I've got this thing, can I talk to you about? <laughs> and there's like a, li- a line of people that get like free counseling, which is great because I have a list of people in the service <laughs> I want to do some counseling for. Uh, so I'm not going to call names, but some of you know who you are. Um, uh, so, so your counselor, your teacher, you've been um, a, a great friend to us, to Lindsay and I, and uh, we've known you for years. Uh, and, and to make a hard transition, whenever, whenever I think of this, the subject of joy, in spite of, despite, in the midst of terrible circumstances, unfortunately, it's the circumstances that, that you and your husband, Rick, uh, and the rest of your family experienced nine and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so Josh is your oldest son, Jonathan is youngest son, and Jenny is your oldest child. And uh, nine and a half years ago, Jenny, who at the time was 31, mother of one daughter who was nine years old, mm-hmm. Malaya, uh, the weekend before she'd run a 5K race, and then she starts to feel ill, goes to the hospital, and then in less than three weeks, 
19 days in the Baylor Grapevine ICU. Uh, her illness turns to pneumonia, turned to sepsis, and then um, we lost her. That's right. Your 31-year-old daughter, mother of one, wife, uh, who seemingly was perfectly fine uh, three weeks before, and then out of the blue, um, what m- many of us parents could only imagine as the worst possible thing uh, happened to you. And one of the, the parts of that story that I have revisited over and over again is the interaction that you have with your husband, Rick, as you're leaving the Baylor Grapevine Hospital and the question that you make him answer when you're leaving. Mm. Do you mind telling that? No. This story is still something that I, I cling to and hang on to. Um, we told Jenny goodbye in three different times this day as we were kind of walking through death and in segments. The very last time we walked out of intensive care, it was our son-in-law right in front of us, then me and Rick. I paused as we got to the door as we were about to, to leave her. And what I wanted to do is grab my husband's shirt like that. He's quite a bit taller than I am. And I ended up just putting my hands on his chest and I said this, you have got to remind me right here that what we believe is truth. And my husband responded back, the tomb is empty. And I knew that those words were going to determine every step I took for the rest of my life. The tomb is empty. Right now, uh, at home, if I were at my home church today, Decatur, I have an elder's wife who buried her only daughter right before I met her. And she whispers in my ear every Sunday morning, the tomb is empty. And if I begin to have a faith crisis later today, I have several friends that I could just shoot a text to and say, remind me, and they will write me back. The tomb is empty because they know that phrase is very centering for my faith and for my roots. Mm -hmm. So you asked that question to Rick as you're leaving Baylor Grapevine Hospital. And it wasn't the only question, obviously, that was asked during this time. There's actually a question that Josh's wife, Casey, uh, the mother of two of your grandchildren, uh, asked you just three weeks later uh, about what she's going to expect in the future with you. Yeah, there were some pivotal moments. I don't remember everything that happened in those early days, obviously, but there are some pivotal moments that are just embedded. They are engraved in my mind, and this is one of them. Casey has this really unique way of saying, I got a question. And when she says the certain tone, you stop everything. We have eye contact. We're locked because I know we're about to go deep. And her question was this, are you going to be bitter? I responded with great resolve, absolutely not. But I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like. I believe that what Casey was really asking me is, what's this house going to be like now? You still going to play with my kids? Are you still going to be a fun Grammy? Are you still going to read books at bedtime? What's Christmas going to be like? Are you going to be bitter? And I do believe that all of us in a grief path, and I want to pause right here because I do not believe, in fact, I reject that death is the only grief producing event. 
I believe there's a lot of us in this room struggling today with different moments, different seasons of grief, maybe that involve death and maybe that don't. Lots of things rip our hearts and make us feel sad that this community of faith, we've got to hold space with each other to figure out how to walk that out. But I don't believe that time heals all wounds. I I don't like that phrase. I believe that time done well is going to give us the emotional and spiritual energy to carry pain. I don't believe that pain is healed. But I believe we learn to carry it. And when we learn to carry pain, we choose to walk away from bitterness, from the root. We choose intention. We choose living life on purpose. We choose doing uh, spiritual disciplines that lead us in the direction we know we want to end up. Mm-hmm. So, so that question that Casey asks you is a question that I'd imagine many of us in Casey's situation would wonder because... What she's asking is this normal response to the type of loss that you experience mm-hmm. would elicit a, a response from many of us that there would be bitterness to what's happened and there would be resentment. And the idea of, of going into a place of joy after that would seem almost unfathomable. There's the story in the book of Ruth where uh, Ruth's mother-in-law loses her husband and then both of her kids. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means sweet, but call me Mara, which means bitter. She's literally saying, my name is going to be bitter from here on out. For some of us, being bitter seems like the only name that we want to be called after that. But, But how can we not be disingenuous to the pain that we feel, which says this is the the faithful way to respond? I'm going to be bitter because I feel hurt. But instead to find something on the other side, to find joy in the midst of our loss. Well, I believe one of the first things we have to recognize or at least begin to speak into is that those are not opposite. They are not opposing. I believe that grief and joy hold hands. I believe I can experience both. I do not believe that any component of the fruit of the Spirit is ever an accident. I think it's with intention, it's with soaking in him, it's with allowing his spirit to indwell, recognizing on on purpose and with intention getting rid of parts of me that don't look like him, leaning in hard to to practices of truth, Mm -hmm. of joy. But there are times when it feels like they can't coincide. Absolutely. That that if you have this and you can't have that. Absolutely. One of the things that you said to me years ago about grief is that Grief doesn't ever go away. It's like this brick mm-hmm. that once you've experienced this loss, you, you might learn how to carry the, the brick of grief better. You might be more accustomed to it, but it's always going to be there. That's right. But at the same time, there's a way that you can also have joy and, and peace, how those two things coincide. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Scripture, joy and peace are often paired up for, sure. for a reason, but there's a way to have both the grief and the joy together. And you said they're not mutually exclusive But it seems to us that it has to be all or nothing. But what are ways that you can have them together? Oh, that's great. You know, I'm going to tell you how I first started the journey toward joy and peace. And it was about eight weeks after Jenny died. I had not, I'd taken a backpack filled with books to the hospital. Um, I could not read a word the entire time Jenny was in. My brain had turned to mush. I could not read, uh, 
this was going to be my first attempt to read, about eight weeks after her death. Went to my back porch, which is a very familiar place for me to be with the Lord. I know what it looks like. I know what it feels like. I know what it smells like. It's easy. I'm accustomed to that spot. I don't have to get reacquainted with that spot to be with him, um, to lay distractions down. And I decided this particular morning I was going to try to read through Job. Now, I confess to you this morning, Job and I had never been great friends before. I have always been a glass half full kind of girl. But during this season of life, I couldn't even find the glass. I had nothing. I had nothing. And I started to read Job out of Eugene Peterson's work, the the message. And at the very end of chapter 3, there's a verse in the message that says something like this. The worst of my fears have come true. What I've dreaded most has happened. There is no peace. There is no rest. Death has invaded life. And I closed the message with quite a thud. And I cried out to the Lord, that is exactly what I'm talking about, Lord. That is exactly it. I don't have peace. I'd never known a season in my life without peace before. But since Jenny died, I could not find peace. I could not find joy. I couldn't find what I wanted, what I was accustomed to, which means I couldn't find me. I couldn't find a place to stand. And the Lord spoke into me right there. It was not a male voice. People asked me that. It wasn't a male voice. There was a settling in my soul that this was truth. I knew this was truth. And the Lord said, my daughter, that is Job speaking from his place of pain. You are my child. You are a baptized believer following Jesus. My spirit indwells you. And where my spirit is, there will be joy. Where my spirit is, there will be peace. Open the eyes of your heart. And so from that day forward, I bet I've already prayed this six plus times today. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Don't want to miss your joy. I don't want to miss your peace. Open the eyes of my heart. And I also confess to you, I haven't had a whole day of joy since Jenny died. But I haven't had a joyless day since that moment. Praying, what does it look like? What does it sound like? What does joy smell like? How can you claim it? Again, my declaration for joy happened on her birthday. August 3rd of 2010. And I started preparing for her birthday when summer rolled around, thinking, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. What am I going to do on her birthday? How am I going to show up on her birthday? And sometimes for people in grief, the day leading up to the event is more painful than the actual day. But I knew this as I was rounding the corner toward the day of her birth. I did not want, in fact, I reject That the pain of her death would overwhelm the joy of her birth. And on that day is when I allowed grief and joy to hold hands. And I wanted to work between both. So there's a grief moment. Yes, her death was present that day. But there's a joy moment. Yes, the Lord used my daughter to teach me about him I knew I was in the presence of someone bigger than me on that day as we celebrated, as we showed up with gratitude for her birth. We'll get to gratitude in just a second, but 
Do you ever feel like you're being disingenuous by celebrating even though she's gone? Does it feel like you're being, uh, you're, you're delegitimizing some part of you that, that, that wants to just, just grieve to have those things together? Does it ever feel like you're you know, not being authentic? You know what? I've never been asked that before, and I absolutely love that question. And I'm kind of doing everything I can do to stay on my stool to answer it because what I want to say is absolutely not. I believe that for people walking the road of grief, we can't forget goodness. We can't forget where we've been. So I believe I am truly being my authentic self to show up with both and not to force myself into one hole or the other, but to say, I don't have to totally experience goodness. I can say, this really hurt. This is bad. This wasn't good. There's nothing in me that, that, that's happy that happened. But at the same time, there is goodness. Because the Lord, I don't get how he does this. But he uses, I, I do not believe that, that the Lord took Jenny. I believe our language is really shallow with that. I don't believe that it's all in his time or there's a season for everything. I believe bad things happen while we walk on dirt. Bad things happen while we walk on dirt that grieve him too. But I believe that what happens is the Lord uses all of those things to orchestrate a beautiful story for himself. The the tagline with that that I use in Decatur, Texas, is I do not believe that Jenny died so Wise County could have a grief center for children and for adults. I don't believe that Jenny died so that grief center could exist. But I do believe that since Jenny died, that grief center is going to exist. I think the Lord shows off in the way he heals us and continues to fuel us with his spirit. I think it would be inauthentic of me not to turn to his joy. It it seems that the foundation of Christianity is the idea that, that God became a person who is fully God and fully human which is a paradox, because you, you can't be fully Absolutely. one thing and fully... And <clears throat> the foundation of understanding who God is, is Jesus, and that's paradox. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a microcosm of what it means for us to be people who navigate this world, in which we have to hold two seemingly contradictory things in both of our hands. That there, there has to be a comfortability with paradox, that grieving and being joyful can coincide in the same way that God can be both man and person. That's right. And that's good. Let's go back to, to gratitude, though. And the idea of, I'm going to be joyful, that's often correlated with our ability to be grateful for what's, what is around us. That's right. How do you practice gratitude after what many of us parents say, like, that's the worst thing that could happen to us? Well, it's never an accident. I will tell you that for sure. It is with great intention. I believe it's a spiritual di- discipline. I knew where I wanted to go. Being a counselor, uh, I get to see a lot of research hot off the press, not Christian research, just research. Uh, Brene Brown is a woman. I follow her work. I'm certified in every curriculum she teaches. And one of the things that she found doing grounded theory research, meaning interviewing lots and lots and lots of people, she says this, without exception in the people she interviewed, I forget how many thousand she interviewed for this, without exception, 100% of the people who claimed to have joy in their lives had a gratitude practice. They practiced gratitude. Now, I could live my life 
just saying thank you to a waiter that brings me a glass of tea. I want to be grateful. I love saying thank you to people and locking eyes with people. And right now, as I'm looking at some of the people that led us in worship earlier, I want to say thank you. That was so good. Somebody say truth. Isn't that right? That was good. So good. But also, I need... I need as a follower after Jesus, as a woman who wants the dust off his feet on me, as a woman who wants to smell like him, I need to be on a hunt for things he gives me that I'm grateful for. I'm grateful when I have this conversation with a sweet friend who spoke a truth into me. I'm grateful when my husband looks at me like that. I'm grateful in a counseling session when we had a breakthrough. Tonight, in my gratitude journal, will be not only your birthday and getting to be with you today, but that line you just said about God, humanity, joy, grief, that will be gratitude because it brought me, it brought me into a greater spiritual awareness. That will make my gratitude journal tonight. I go on a hunt, and I'm committed to do three to five. Sometimes I have more, but I want a minimum every day. Of three to five things I'm grateful for. I don't lay down in bed at night and go, hmm, wonder what it was. I'm thinking about him all day long. I'm shopping for him. I'm claiming him. I'm claiming him. I, all my gratitudes, I believe, are from the hand of the Lord. That's what I want to be grateful for. It's a deeper level of just being thankful. It's grateful. Spiritual discipline. Yeah. I love how Brene, talks, Brene Brown talks about the idea of people who practice gratitude, that it's not like, oh, I'm just going to be grateful, That's but right. it's a practice that you're going to intentionally do this. That's right. uh, in First uh, Thessalonians, uh, scripture tells us that it is God's will for you to give thanks in all circumstances. Like God's will for who you are is someone who's always giving thanks. And, and part of what happens is when we're on the hunt, or as you say, shopping, I don't like shopping. I'm never going to use that. But I I don't do shopping. But (laughs) the idea of I'm actively looking for this. That's right. When you're looking for something, it changes what you see. That's right. Right? And so if if you're on the look for things to be thankful for, what happens is not only do you find the gift but you find the giver of the gift. Mm-hmm. And if we believe God is the giver of every good and perfect gift, when you're looking to be grateful for the gifts that you see around you, what you ultimately find is God. That's right. And so it, gratitude leads to awareness of God being with you. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Okay. You want to talk more? I will. Can I say more? Okay, about yeah, yeah. That? I okay, figured I you wanted to. I was waiting for you to give me a cue. Okay, so I, I can go with that. Okay, cue. Um, I believe there is uh, an emotion called awe, A-W-E, and it's that emotion that attaches to other things going on. It doesn't hold space by itself. Uh, We have joy when we have awe. Awe is that moment what the research would say is when you're in the presence of something we believe of someone bigger than us. Awe is that moment that takes your breath away Awe is that moment that you go, it had to be you. That had to be you. Grievers, um, and I sit with a lot, most of my practice is marriage and grief. And I want to be careful as I say this. I'm speaking this as my own truth. And if this is hard for someone else in the room to hear, I just want you to chew it for a minute before you reject it. But uh, if I go to my backyard when I get home tonight, and let's just say there's a, a cardinal 
frequently when I'm writing on my computer, I'm sitting in my backyard, and there's a cardinal that visits. Grievers will say, my person visited me in my yard. Or if there's a butterfly, we say, someone that we love is reminding us that they, they see us. Butterflies, people believe, are, are your person being able to bear witness to you. A rainbow. I have a friend. Um, when she sees a rainbow, she believes it's her daughter. I'm not sure that I believe that. In fact, I'm sure that I don't. I believe rainbows. I believe cardinals. I believe butterflies. I believe I have a Jenny tree in my backyard that a police officer's widow gave me the acorn for, and I've raised that thing from acorn into a full-blown tree now. It's our Jenny tree. I believe that tree when I sit in its shade now. I believe that all of those things are the Lord reminding me that he sees me. They are his presence. They are his overwhelming wink at me of, I got your pain. Don't think I missed a moment of it. I'm with you. I'm with you. And so it's that, that continual looking. When, when we're in grief, frequently we say a phrase like, the lights went out. Mm-hmm, it is dark. It is dark. For you young people in the room today, I want to speak this, and really for all of you, but I want to really address them. Um, I believe that I spent a very long time in my life, and I taught my children to do this too, to prepare in the light for what you will do when darkness comes. And what I mean by prepare in the light, it means you stuff that backpack, you stuff your spiritual backpack, you memorize verses, you're writing out songs, you are storing in your heart truths, because when the lights go out, it's really hard to explore theology. It's really hard then to come up with what you believe is truth. We dig into what we already knew. We're digging into what we already know. Then he can lead us down a path of, of growing. We prepare in the light for what we will do when darkness comes. It would bless me right now if somebody said truth. Don't you agree with that? Yes. Sure. Yes. They do that for fate when he comes... They do the oh, amens do then, that. but that's, okay. that's the only person they do that for. Cool. Um, <laughs> I do it for fake too. <laughs> when, um, but when you were talking earlier about you go to your backyard, that's yes. your spot, like your back porch. Mm-hmm. In some ways, you're smoking what you're selling. Bad metaphor. Um, but you're living what you're preaching. That's a better metaphor. Um, that you have a practice. And it's not like you had to develop this spiritual discipline of, I'm going to create this, hollow out this specific time, but you already had that. Yes. And so you, you had the, uh, the muscle memory that that naturally just came to you in moments right. of grief. You weren't trying to create that. It was already no, there. It was already there. And so as you're suggesting for us right now, let prepare practices that give you a foundation mm-hmm. to see God in moments of light so that when the lights go out, you already have those practices so that that's right. even when things are darker, you still have the muscle memory to look to see yes, God around you. That's right. Uh, so um, this practicing gratitude, that's one of those practices that helps you. And what happens is you become more aware of God, mm-hmm. creates more joy. And so when you're more rooted in the presence of God, joy shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, other practices that you think are helpful for people who are going through grief to help them be aware of joy or to, to come in contact with joy? 
I definitely think to be looking for it. I also think to um, have a verse, a mantra that is your go-to. It's kind of like when you visit Israel and on the doorpost they have the Shema written. I, I believe to have a joy touchstone. I love you, Lord. The joy of the Lord. I know you're, you want to give me joy. I want to open the eyes of my heart to see it. All of those are just phrases that I become accustomed to and basically obsessed with. That when I'm, I'm searching, I have a mantra. When I'm searching, I have a verse. When I'm searching, I, I can listen to a song. Really and true, I have a four-minute drive from my house to my office. And I'm preparing to go work with people who are in pain. I spend that four minutes. I've already had time at home, but I'm really intentional about what I do in that four minutes to prepare my head for space. And then I'm doing a, a joy practice, which is quoting, claiming the Lord is my joy. And I believe one of the um, I believe one of the gifts the Lord gives us is when we practice joy and peace. Anxiety subsides. You cannot experience, the human brain absolutely cannot experience two opposing emotions at the same time. Now, I am against, and I I would teach that it is false, that joy and grief are opposing. They are both part of the human experience. They are both allowed to be with us, and they do hold hands. I do not believe that peace and anxiety or joy and anxiety go together. So the more I practice joy, the more I practice peace, Philippians 4, the more anxiety diminishes for me. And for those of us walking a grief road, anxiety can be a monster. Anxiety can be a monster. And that monster gets silenced. He's robbed of his power in my life the more I let joy and peace be louder than him. Can I get you to unpack that more? Uh, Grief and joy can go together. What is it about anxiety that differentiates itself from grief as something that can't coincide. Okay. I, I believe that grief is from loss and longing. Mm-hmm. Now, none of this, and I need, in case you're in the early days of grief, Jenny died February 22nd. My declaration for clinging to joy was August 3rd. So those early days were not the days I even tried to live in joy or peace. Really and true, gut level, I was just trying to breathe air. Now, when I try to breathe air and I'm teaching this, I typically do this because at the moment Jenny's legs were amputated, um, she was on a, a trach. And so to watch the nurses medicate the air that went into her was a good metaphor for me walking those early days. The spirit was breathing into me but he was also loading medicine in that air. He was giving me the medicine of peace, of breath. Matt Redman has in two of his songs that came out about the time Jenny died, a phrase, it's one phrase used in both songs. I wanna breathe in your grace so I can breathe out your praise. Through grace and through the language of praise is where joy is found. Through grace and through praise is where peace is found. And so I wanted, to, I wanted to walk that intentionally. Did I answer your question? I think so. I, yeah. I'll give you a good grade for that one. Success. Okay. Yeah, that was good. Another thing I did, though, coming off the question, is you can't deny the grief. 
I mean, you can lay on the floor and throw a really big fit and still have moments of joy while you're laying there. So it's not... There's a paradox that you can live in both. Yes, yes. Yes, I remember right after Jenny's funeral, one of the, uh, I think it was Josh Graves, said this was where the sacred and humanity met. And I, I got that, and that picture really got planted. That's why I love that phrase that you used so much, is walking out our lives. Mm-hmm. We demonstrate that over and over again. But it's wrong. It's not healthy when we camp out in the humanity without recognizing the sacred. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just for the record, you like what I said more than Josh yeah. Graves. Okay, good. Uh, just just, me just for the record. Oh, there he is. I think that's a good word for us. I think that's a word that each and every one of us need to hear, that whatever adversity, whatever circumstances you're in, that they don't have the final word, that there is something deeper and more everlasting than the circumstances you're in. And when you come in contact with that, the fruit of being connected to that is joy. And so, uh, first of all, uh, let me say thank you, Beverly. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for being with us. Uh, It has been... Uh, it has been a, a grace to me, as it always is. Uh, Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.